everybody. You're listening to The Breakfast Show on Faith FM, 87.6, 87.8, or 88, right across Australia, right across the Faith FM network, wherever you are. Positively different radio in the morning. You're with the double L team, Larland. Lawson. Lawson. How was your weekend? Oh, it was so epic. It was so you had, great. You had an epic meeting, I understand. I, I did. I had a really epic meeting from 10.30 a.m. to 3.30 p.m. And when I left, it wasn't even finished. <laughs> but I Way to spend your Sunday. But it was good. I had to leave because it was my my uh, older sister, Maddie. It was her birthday yesterday. Oh, so big shout out to Maddie. Shout Happy out, birthday. Maddie. Yeah, I had to leave so I could head down to the shops and I bought her a bouquet. Oh, guess what I bought her as a birthday present? Guess, guys. You just said a bouquet. Yeah, but I a bought her a bouquet. And I bought her something else. Right. Guess, guess what it was. Um, um, guess a card no no get like 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 think about what what i've given you guys recently socks no that's yeah it was a, <laughs> <laughs> dude it is the go-to present because it's like not incredibly expensive yes it's an appliance and everyone it's being adopted by everyone everybody's getting into it so she didn't have one and then, you know, I um, did my searching and I found the cheapest, biggest air fryer that I could in Newcastle. And so the air fryer, fryer I got you guys is pretty, pretty decent. It was, uh, you know, I think it's a yeah. 4.2 liter one. Uh, yeah, I don't know. Yeah, we know how this, we know how it goes. We Dude, but goes. I ended up. Second class citizen. Yeah, baby. that's right. Well, because she's my family. So whatever. Like, no, but it, oh, and we're it was not, also. And we're not your family. No, but it was Black Friday yesterday. And so they had sales and I got her. It was like a seven liter air fryer. Seven and a half liters. It's like wow. the biggest thing ever. But um, yeah, you know that means that she has to invite me over to cook, which yes. which you guys haven't done. May I remind? I haven't eaten any air fryer. What's, what's well, sitting on your actually on your table sitting right, right beside me is a is a box full of food. Finally, finally, on the day that I want to accuse you of that, you've stepped up. <laughs> You're listening to the Breakfast Show podcast on Faith FM, positively different. There you go. There you go. All right. <laughs> Let's have some positively different news followed by some more serious news. So I read this. We're cutting our news short this morning because we want to have a feature-length interview with That's right. uh, Attorney General Senator Michaelia Cash. That's right. And so um, I read this article this morning, and when I saw the headline, I was really excited because the headline says, Toronto is replacing air conditioners with deep lake water, uh, with deep lake water to cool hundreds of buildings. And I was like, I live in Toronto. They're replacing like and I'm like hundreds of buildings. Yeah, but wait a minute, you at, at that particular point you sort of stopped and thought, we don't have deep lake water <laughs> in Lake Macquarie. How, how deep is Lake Macquarie? I mean, every time I've been capsized in Lake Macquarie, I get my sand stuck in the mud on the bottom. My my mask stuck in the what mud on the no, bottom. At, the, at some point, like it goes deeper than that. <laughs> Slightly deeper than the mast on my 14-footer. That's right. But, but I was like, oh, tr- dude, Toronto is killing it. Like, t- <laughs> like Go Toronto. Go Toronto. T- Toronto has a bit of a reputation for, I wouldn't say, like, it's it's just a it's just a classic town. You know, it it's is. just a classic place. <laughs> yeah. It's called Toronto, and yep. it's just like, it's got, got that reputation. But then I realized that it was Toronto in Canada, and I was like, oh, Okay. And this actually makes sense. Yeah, because they have deep lakes. They have have, very deep lakes. They have Lake Ontario. Very cold water. And Toronto in Canada is probably a fair bit more progressive than Toronto here in terms of its... um, Probably. Yeah. Just a tad, slightly. In in terms of spending hundreds of millions of dollars to ditch air conditioning and, you know, electric-powered air conditioning. Okay, so they're going to take away the electric-powered air con and now have electrically pumped water. Yes, 
And I know what you're thinking. It's like, right. oh, okay. And, you know, and that's the classic argument, you know, when people talk about like, oh, like fossil fuel versus like, you know, cars that are electric and all that stuff. But check this out. Yeah, because electric cars run on coal. Yeah. They burn coal. Yeah, that's right. Yeah. But, but look at this. Here in Australia they do anyway. Yeah, that's right. But look at this, dude. This is insane. Is that altogether, all of these buildings that they're going to, you know, um, transition from electric air conditioning to water cooling, this yes. kind of hydro cooling system, uh-huh, uh-huh. they're going to save 90,000 megawatts of electricity that's, annually. That's, that's decent. Which is the amount of power that you need to power 25,000 homes annually. Yeah, that's massive. And that's really cool. And it's one of the things that, um, you know, I often talk, I often say to all of my climate change friends who just, you know, rave on and on and on and on about, you know, climate change and so forth. And it's like, do you use an air conditioner? <laughs> because, I mean, Cringe. human beings human beings survived for like the last 6,000 years without air conditioners. You're not mm. going to die if you switch your air conditioner off. Yeah, that's right. And I don't use an air conditioner. And I'm Powerful. not even a greenie. Powerful. You're, you just want to save money. <laughs> That's right. I'm just tight. Because <laughs> air conditioning is like the most expensive, power-hungry thing that you can switch on. That's right. Mm. It's just like you want to watch your electricity bill just start to spin, then switch that thing on and see what happens. Yeah, interesting. And, ah, this is this is good news. And so, yes, they have very deep lakes. Lake Ontario, at some points, is like 280 feet deep, which is like almost 100 meters or so. Oh yeah, it's a long way That's down. That's super deep, and the it's super cold. And the water at the bottom is like like three degrees yes. Celsius. Yes. And so they, you know, basically run a bunch of pipes down there, suck it up, and um, and pump it through pipes that surround these buildings. So all these buildings are going through renovations at the moment to. You know, mm-hmm. put these to install these pipes. And luckily, they don't need to s- install lots of little pipes. They just need to s- install a couple big pipes on each side. They've found that's the the way to go to install a couple big pipes on each side of the building. Um, and uh, yeah, essentially, like they're just getting into it. And at first, you know, they were skeptical because this is technology that can't necessarily be tested everywhere. We can't do this in Lake Macquarie. I couldn't do this at no. What's the temperature Lake Macquarie? Like twenty four degrees? Yeah, we couldn't. <laughs> we couldn't. Work. We couldn't do this in our Toronto, right? Because we don't have the access to a, a lake that's that deep and that cold. Well, it's not that deep. It's not that cold. It is salt water, which adds an another layer of complexity. That's right. And yeah, it's like 20 feet deep and 24 degrees. (laughs) (laughs) That's right. Whereas here it was like, they were, you know, they were skeptical at first because it's like, Oh, what evidence is there until they, they basically, they installed it in one building. And so it was in the, the Scotia bank. Um, that uses 3 million kilowatts of hour, less energy per year. So they were like, okay, this is pretty legit. And now every... And this is where it needs to be used because it's in commercial buildings that... That's right. The most, you know, because everybody runs the air conditioner because, you know, you might make a decision yourself to do, I'm going to do something for the climate. I'm not going to use an air conditioner this summer. I'm just going to drink water. Mm. But in commercial buildings, uh, not everybody's signed up to what you've signed up to. And so they, those air cons are just going to run. That's right. That's right. Because, you know, it's 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 it is, I will admit, it is nice to walk into Westfield and... It's cold. And so, and, but, yeah, in the government building, in, in the shopping malls, all these different, um, yeah, large commercial buildings, uh, over 100 large commercial buildings within Toronto are all being now transitioned to lake water to keep them cool. That's amazing. So good for them. What's happening right. in the land of More serious, serious news? news? Okay, so this is uh, coming out of the United States, and books promoting pedophilia have been approved for schools <laughs> in the United States. 
Now, this is this is in. We, we've got to remember that um, in the in Australia and the United States, one in four girls are abused. One in four, one in six boys are abused. These are massive figures. Mm. You know, we've had royal commissions, we've had grand juries, we've had people being locked up, we've brought in, you know, all kinds of rules to try and stop this kind of thing. But now we're actually promoting it. Um, and so, really, what this is is a massive kick in the teeth to the victims and the survivors of child abuse because mm. it's like we don't care about you we are actually going to promote this to our children and so uh, these these two books um, involve things such as promoting um, year four boys having sex with adult men you know year four this is like children this is really where small are these children. books coming from um, it includes things about sex toys masturbation violent nudity um, extremely explicit. And these books were highlighted um, by a lady by the name of Stacey Langton. Um, she saw it in Texas and so checked her local school library. Um, and she's like, she's not, she's not anti-same-sex. She's not, you know, asking to remove all of the same-sex books from the library. She's just, she's just saying these ones are promoting criminal behaviour. We need to get rid of them. Her mother is a lesbian, you know. Um, so, you know, she's not, she's not, hard right activist on this particular issue but when she stood up in the school board to actually read from these books the school board tried to shut it down because there were people in the room that were under the age of 18 and it was too terrible mm. and so it was referred back to the district reading committee and both of these books and they were unanimously approved yikes so this is the slippery slope of opening the door to normalise everything. Mm. And that's kind of where our world has gone, is gone in the direction of like, hey, everything's normal now, nothing's abnormal, you know, we can't look down on anybody, even people who are doing criminal things. Um, and so now we are promoting criminal behaviour and activities to our children. I mean, mm. there's activities that bring lengthy jail terms with them, and rightfully so, because these are activities that destroy the lives of children. And somebody stood up and said, oh, it's not such a big deal because it's only in the high school library. Well, to, what difference does that make? The age of consent Absolutely is 18. None. That makes no difference whatsoever <laughs> at all. You have an age of consent, and below the age of consent, we have recognised that it is impossible for that person to give consent. Mm. That's why we've created that particular age right there and you know for for this you know particular district there's, there's several districts now that uh, have both of these books uh, in their school libraries and promote them to their kids i mean this is this is pedophiles evolving so that they can continue to abuse they have all kinds of restrictions on them now they have always targeted institutions in the past because that's where they gain access and trust they haven't actually gone anywhere. They've gone further underground, and now they're using uh, the current woke culture as a club to beat the world into submission and to force the world to follow their agenda. Mm. You're listening to The Breakfast Show Podcast on Faith FM, positively different. Welcome back, everybody. You're listening to The Breakfast Show on Faith FM. And uh, last week, the Prime Minister, Scott Morrison, introduced to federal parliament our long-awaited religious anti-discrimination bill. Um, we, we just want to congratulate Prime Minister Scott Morrison and the Liberal National Government for standing by their election promise to address the issue of 
freedom from religious discrimination in Australia. Um, and in particular, the Attorney General, Senator Michaelia Cash, for her role in drafting the bill and presenting it to the government. Senator Cash joins us on the phone right now. Senator Cash, welcome to the show. Lyle and Pastor Michael, it is fabulous to be here, and I just really want to say hello to all of your listeners. Well, we're super excited to have you as well, and I should mention that, yes, Pastor Michael Worker is joining us. He is the Public Relations and Religious Liberty Director for the Adventist Church in Australia, and he's going to be sharing the interview with me. So, Pastor Worker, welcome to the show. Thank you, Lyle. A pleasure to be with you, and uh, good morning to you, Michaelia. Now, Senator Cash, I'm wondering whether we can begin by asking why this bill is necessary. I mean, Australia has functioned for over 100 years without a religious anti-discrimination bill, so why now? It's a really good question. So I think, as we all know, Australia is a culturally and religiously diverse nation. In fact, we have over 14 million Australians uh, who hold a religious belief. But as we also know... Despite that, many Australians still experience discrimination on the basis of their religious beliefs in public life. And that just should not happen. You know, a Christian should not be discriminated against because they wear a crucifix around their neck, uh, nor should a Jewish person who is told that they need to work uh, on Shabbat. And that's why the Prime Minister did last week, uh, and as you said, deliver on our election commitment to protect Australians from discrimination on the ground of their religious beliefs. But I think it's also important to point out, it also protects Australians who don't have a religious belief. The bill actually goes both ways in terms of the protections. That's a, that's a fascinating point. Michael, um, I know you had some questions that you wanted to ask as well, so um, I'll, I'll, I'll let you ask a question at this time. Yeah, thank you. And one of those real flashpoints, uh, Senator, tends to be around faith-based education, and there are many Australians, many many of our members who are deeply concerned about protecting the uniqueness of faith-based education in our very modern pluralistic society. What protection does the bill provide to ensure that faith-based schools can recruit and retain in employment who not only believe what the school believes but also practice that belief? Well, as you know, it is incredibly important given the unique nature of religious bodies, and in this instance we're talking about religious educational institutions, uh, Mm. to be able to give preference to allow people of the same religion as the religious body to be employed by them if that's what they choose to do. I think a lot of people forget that there are already exemptions in other discrimination legislation that already does this for faith-based institutions. So what we've done in relation to the Religious Discrimination Bill is ensure that faith-based educational institutions are given the ability to preference their own. And I think that's widely accepted across Australia. A Catholic school, if it so chooses, should be able to support, uh, should be able to preference a Catholic person. A Jewish school, should they so choose, should be able to preference a Jewish person. That is already widely accepted in Australia, and this bill will continue those exceptions. What we have, though, 
done in this Bill Lyland Park to Michael is this. If a religious education institution does want to rely on the exemption, what we've said, and I've been so pleased that religious education institutions have said this is good for them, is they will need to have a publicly available policy. And the publicly available policy will set out their ethos. So we're a Catholic school and we teach in accordance with the doctrines, tenets, beliefs of Catholicism. We will rely on the exemption and we will rely on the exemption in this way. I think that is a really good step forward because I think it shows transparency. The school is being up front in terms of what it teaches and how it teaches, but also for a prospective employee. I then know what the expectations are of the school. But again, as I said, as you and I know, Pastor Michael, there are already, in particular in the Sex Discrimination Act, there already are exemptions for religious bodies, and obviously they do include the religious educational institutions, and we will continue those exemptions in the Religious Discrimination Act, but in relation to preferencing on the basis of religion. Yeah, so just following along from that, uh, Senator Cash, there's you know been a whole uh, bunch of I guess discussion in the media about the you know the claims that the bill allows for LGBT students to be kicked out of schools. Is this true? And does the bill you know override similar legislation already in place protecting LGBT plus people from discrimination? No, it is not true. So what this bill does is fill a gap. So Australia already has, as you know a Sex Discrimination Act, a Disability Discrimination Act, an Age Discrimination Act and a Race Discrimination Act. However, there's no standalone legislation to protect people of faith. So that is what this bill will do. So consistent with other Commonwealth Anti-Discrimination Acts, it will make discrimination on the basis of a protected attribute, which will be the religious belief or activity unlawful. But it does not override any of the protections in the other acts. So we recognise that freedom of religion is one right amongst many others, and as such, this right will coexist with other human rights. And importantly for your listeners, the bill will not allow discrimination on the basis of any other protected attribute, being age, disability, race or sex. But very importantly, very importantly, to go to your question about students, my fundamental belief and the Prime Minister's fundamental belief is that discrimination against students on any basis should not occur. And I've spoken to so many of the faith leaders, Lyle and Pastor Michael, and they have agreed with me No student should be discriminated against on the basis of their sex. That's the overwhelming feedback. And I have to say, the experience from religious schools is that this does not occur. It is currently allowed, though, as you know, in the Sex Discrimination Act, not the Religious Discrimination Bill. That's got nothing to do with sexuality. The Religious Discrimination Bill is purely about religious beliefs and religious activity. But what I have done 
I've written to the Australian Law Reform Commission, and as you know, they are actually already undertaking a review of all of the exemptions that religious bodies already have in discrimination legislation across Australia. So that's a big review across all exemptions, and they will report back to the government 12 months after the passing of the Religious Discrimination Bill on whether or not those exemptions are appropriate and still necessary. But I have made it clear the position of the government in relation to students, that it's the government's expectation that a student is not expelled from school on the basis of their gender or sexual identity. But I do again just want to make it clear to your listeners, the bill that we're talking about, that the Prime Minister introduced last week in the Parliament, this is about religious discrimination and discrimination as the protected attribute of religion. Yeah, and I think that's um, really positive there um, to hear that. Now, Pastor Michael Worker, I understand that you wanted to ask a question in relationship to uh, how this federal bill will affect the states. Yeah, and just before we go there, Senator, certainly Adventist schools in Australia, and we have more than 16,000 students, we, we have an open enrolment policy and we accept students of all faiths and even Thank students you, of no Michael. faith at all. You know, and, and that's a, that's been a guiding principle for Adventist education for a very long and, time. And and that, yeah, you know, I'm so glad you said that because I think some of the debate has unfairly focused on schools of faith and saying they would never do this. When, as you and I know, it's the exact opposite. This is exactly what schools of faith do. If you want to preference a teacher uh, to be of your religion, that is, you should be able to do that. But when I actually talk to schools of faith, they take students because they're students. That's it. Mm, absolutely. Absolutely. Yeah. Mm. And, you know, we're, we're here to serve the, the vulnerable, the marginalized, those, those who don't feel safe in other educational settings. And we want to welcome them in and give them a safe place to, to grow as, as humans, to, to have a values and faith based educational experience. And, uh, you know, many families find that very, very valuable in, in our Adventist education system. Look, I, I just want to talk about, um, employment a little bit because employment is largely a federal matter, you know, it, the Fair Work Act. But what we're seeing is a number of states and territories are introducing or proposing changes to equal opportunity legislation that could undermine the freedom for faith-based organisations to preferentially employ people who not only say they believe, but they actually live out the teachings of their respective faith. Is there anything in this religious discrimination bill uh, that might counterbalance those attempts um, to to undermine these provisions? It is a very, very good question. And the federal government's very, very clear position is that religious schools should be able to preference people of their own faith. If they so choose, because I think as you've pointed out, uh, sometimes that's not what you'll do, but we mm. believe that is incredibly important. So the state that you're currently referring to is uh, the state of Victoria. And as you know, the Victorian government is or has, not even is anymore, has introduced amendments to its Equal Opportunity Act. And what they're going to do, just to explain it to your listeners, 
is they're going to limit the existing circumstances where religious bodies and schools can discriminate in employment matters on the basis of doctrines, beliefs or principles of their religion. So in Victoria, what they want to do is say a religious body will only be permitted to discriminate against someone in employment on the basis of religious beliefs. This is the important bit. Where it is an inherent requirement of the particular role that the person be of the same faith as a religious body and, and this is the important bit, this is an and, the requirement is proportionate and reasonable. Now, that is a severe limitation on your current protection. But what is worse, the court is now involved in telling you whether or not what you've done is proportionate and reasonable. Now, we think that is unfair. So what we will do in our religious discrimination bill is address those concerns. Um, and we will provide, I think it's clause 11, that a religious education institution will not contravene a prescribed state or territory law. And in the event the Victorian legislation passes before our bill passes, it will be automatically added to our bill. So you will not contravene a prescribed state or territory law if the religious body has given preference in good faith to persons who hold or engage in a particular religious belief or activity in employment matters. Again, and we talked about the transparency before, to qualify for the exemption, the religious education institution, you must publish a policy setting out the relevant religious requirements for employment matters. It is very important, this particular clause, and as you know, it's a really serious issue when the federal government says we now need to override a state or territory mm. law. This is not something that, as you know, we just do. It's a very serious step, but in this case, we believe the Victorian government has gone too far. We are fundamentally committed to the existing circumstances, again, supported by both major parties for many, many years across the states and territories, we are fundamentally committed to the principle uh, that you are able to give preference in good faith to persons who hold or engage in your particular religious belief or activity in employment matters. And, and this is really important because some, you know, this particular bill is of deep concern to us and it, it, it almost puts uh, the fundamental human right of freedom of religion as a second class right in compared to other human rights. They're not being held in balance and uh, we want to strongly encourage you Correct. to be strong in this area. And I would strongly encourage you then to call on you know, in particular, the, the Labor members of Parliament who will be voting on this bill in that regard, because that is the one thing that I've drafted this bill, as you know, very, very carefully. And what you've just said is consistent with the government's position. We recognise that freedom of religion is one right among many others. As such, this right coexists with other human rights but it coexists alongside. We do not elevate and we do not de-elevate any other protected attribute. They sit alongside and complement one another. I think you are, that is a very important point to make. 
And, and as a faith leader, that's all we're wanting. We, we don't want to dominate. We don't want to say other human rights are, are not shouldn't be equal, but that there is an appropriate appropriate balancing of all the fundamental human rights so that we can all coexist together. We can all get along and, and be continue to be a, a happy and harmonious society. Well, I think, you know, when you look at what we're actually doing, and people often focus, as you know, on the exemptions in the rule, the exemptions for religious bodies, religious educational institutions, which, as we know and we've discussed, they, these are not new. These are already in place. The Labor government supported them. And in fact, in 2013, uh, when former Attorney General Mark Draper amended the Sex Discrimination Act to add in some additional protected attributes, uh, the very important part of his speech was that the religious exemptions, uh, sorry, the exemptions for religious bodies uh, and religious schools that were already in the Sex Discrimination Act would be extended to include those new protected attributes. There is nothing new in what we are doing. And in fact, it is a fundamental recognition that religious bodies should be able to practice in accordance with their doctrines, tenets and beliefs. Because isn't that what you are all about? A religious community. I'm a Catholic. I went to Iona Presentation College back in Perth, Western Australia. I was educated by the Presentation Sisters, very strict convent school at the time. But it was all about being a Catholic, being part of a community, uh, living as part of that community. That's the choice my parents made in sending myself and my, my brother and sisters to a strict Catholic school. That was their choice in the education. But I digress there slightly because what the bill is actually doing, as we know, is actually protecting people from discrimination on the mm. basis of their religion. So whether you're a Catholic, a Mormon, a Muslim, a Jew, a Buddhist, a Hindu, a Baha'i, a Sikh, a Mormon, I mean, you can go on and on and on. This is about ensuring that you, as an Australian of faith, have confidence, confidence to be yourself, confidence in the country that you either grew up in or you came to because you knew it was a successful multicultural and multi-faith nation. Confidence that your government, we will protect you, we will protect your values. That's what this bill is doing. Yeah, and Senator Cash, I think that's a really important point that you make there because it's not just about, you know, you and I, the three of us here, we're Christians, this yes. is a Christian station, but this is about people of all kinds of different faiths. You know, we've, we've talked about yes. Judaism, but we have, you know, a very large Muslim community. We have, you know, a Hindu community, we have Buddhist community and, you know, so many more. And this is protection for everybody, which is, which is what we need. Now, for the benefit of, of our listeners, I'm just wondering whether I could um, toss out a, a an example from the past to illustrate okay. how this bill works. So back yep. in 2015, we had the uh, Tasmanian Roman Catholic Archbishop Julian Porteous, um, who was referred to the Australian Anti-Discrimination Commissioner for distributing a booklet to his parishioners and parents of his students in his schools defending biblical marriage. Now, uh, would a person of faith in similar circumstances be protected by this new legislation? Okay, so you're referring to what is known as the Statement of Belief Clause. And what we say is a person of faith, and not of faith, because I think, again, it's important to remind ourselves, this recognises that a person also has the right not to have a belief, 
you should be able to really express your belief, talk about your belief, and as long as that statement of belief is made in good faith and you genuinely consider it to be in accordance with your faith, then all the bill does is say that statement of belief in and of itself is not discrimination because a key aspect of protecting religious belief and activity is protecting the ability of individuals to explain, discuss, and share their fundamental beliefs. But as you and I would both know, and as we would expect, there are, of course, limitations on the extent of the protection. A statement cannot be malicious. It can't threaten, intimidate, harass, or vilify a person or groups of persons. But the ability to simply state in good faith what you believe, that should be okay. And it can't be discrimination, as you and I know, because discrimination entails an action. It entails conduct. If you and I are having a discussion in the workplace, or just generally here now, and just say, I'm an atheist, Pastor Michael and Lyle, and I say to you, well, guess what? Do you know, I know you believe in this concept of the afterlife. I think it's called heaven. I don't believe there is a God, so there can be no heaven. And then you say back to me, well, Michaela, we're actually people of faith. Uh, We believe uh, in the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit. And we do believe that, you know, you will go to purgatory and then you will enter uh, the gates of heaven. We should both be able to have this conversation. That's okay. We should be able to respect each other's views. Uh, We should be able to discuss and share our fundamental beliefs. Now, if I was to then say to you, though, I am now going to act on my belief as an atheist and discriminate against you because I don't share your belief, I think all of us would agree that's not okay. And that's what this clause says. Merely sharing, explaining your fundamental belief as long as it's sincerely held, that's okay. Yeah, and I think that's what, what what we all want. We want, you know, a healthy society is a society that can have Correct. healthy discussions um, on all kinds of topics and, and be very broad and share ideas back and forth. Now. Yes, this is a healthy discussion and it's a good discussion. Absolutely. Senator, I understand that not all of the recommendations of the Ruddock Report are included in the bill. Why was that? Okay, so I went out to consultation, as you know, and in fact, this bill has been consulted on for a very, very long time. So when I came into the role as Attorney General, the Prime Minister said to me, Michaelia, I want to be able to now deliver on our election commitment to the Australian people. I want you to go and listen to all sides of the debate and bring a bill back to me that strikes the right balance between religious discrimination and intersecting human rights. And so I listened far and wide and I took on the feedback. So there were two clauses that the Cabinet agreed uh, could be removed from the bill. And the first one was in relation to removing the provisions relating to conscientious objection. But they didn't just, we didn't just remove them. We listened carefully to the feedback. We accepted from the medical profession that the relevant codes of conduct do provide for conscientious objection. 
We accepted that the states and territories, when dealing in particular with abortion and euthanasia, provide for conscientious objection. And we also understood that if a medical practitioner felt they were not covered by the relevant code of conduct, they were not covered by the state and territory legislation, they can still bring a claim of indirect discrimination under the bill. We also agreed to remove the provisions relating to employer conduct, but only on the basis that the existing protections for indirect discrimination, including in the workplace, will again already protect employees who face discrimination and they can still make a claim in that regard. What we did say, though, was the provisions dealing with qualifying body conduct rules, they remain. Now, the reason they remain is because of the significant consequences if a person's professional registration or practice is restricted or removed as a result of the person's statement of belief being made. And we need to remember this outside of their profession. So I can't regulate me inside of the profession because I'm at work, but I should have the right outside of the profession to make a statement of belief in good faith. So that remains. But at the same time, the Christian and religious educational institutions came to us and they said, a huge concern for us now is what Victoria is doing and what other states and territories are doing. That was not in the bill, as you know. So whilst, yes, we took out two provisions, we've also added in the additional provision to ensure that preferencing in employment is allowed by religious educational institutions. And that, for me, was one of the most fundamental parts of this bill, to be able to address what was a huge concern for religious educational institutions. So I think, and I've been so delighted with the response across the board from people. Most people, and in particular the faith leaders, and as you said, doesn't matter what denomination of faith you are, have come out and said, it's a fair bill, it's a reasonable bill, didn't give us everything we asked for, but it absolutely strikes the right balance between religious discrimination because that's what we are protecting. And as we've discussed several times now in this particular discussion, intersecting human rights. And, Senator, I think, uh, yeah, I think that's fair. You know, um, a lot of the faith leaders I talk to and, and my own personal view is it would have been nice to go further. It would have been nice to see the provisions of ICCPR Article 18 enshrined in it. But um, despite some of those challenges, you know, we would support the enacting of this legislation. You know, we, we see it as a positive step forward for our nation. Uh, for people of faith, for people of no faith at all. Now, just just honing in a little bit, this is a bill that protects people against religious discrimination. It actually doesn't necessarily provide positively for religious freedom. It's a protection against being discriminated against. But having said that, there are some elements in the discrimination framework that do provide some positive protections. Is, is there any comment you want to make about the, the distinction between providing for religious freedom as opposed to protection against discrimination? 
Uh, yeah, and I think it's a very, very important point to make that anti-discrimination law in Australia is that. It is a bill that protects you from something as opposed to giving you a positive right to actually do something. So the bill that we've put forward broadly follows the same structure as existing federal anti-discrimination law um, and will largely operate alongside, as we've discussed, other anti-discrimination law. But you are right, the bill does not introduce positive protections for freedom of religion. And that's because we recognise that freedom of religion is one right among many others. In practice, the right coexists with the broad suite of human rights. But in particular, when you look at the Religious Freedom Review, what it actually said, it itself did not support the enactment of a Religious Freedom Act, but it did support the enactment of a Religious Discrimination Act. So our bill implements the Religious Freedom Recommendation and consistent with other Commonwealth Anti-Discrimination Acts, it makes discrimination on the basis of a protected attribute, which is obviously religious belief or activity, unlawful. And just in terms of, we talked about the ICCPR before. I mean, this is, as you know, it is a crucial aspect of protecting, you know, freedom of religion and recognises our obligation at international law to protect people from discrimination. It provides recourse for discrimination based on religious belief or activity. And at the same time, and I think this is very, very important, promotes understanding and awareness of the importance of religion to Australian society, in Australian society. Um, and really, what are we fundamentally doing? ensuring that people are able to hold and manifest their faith or lack thereof in public without interference or intimidation. That's the Religious Discrimination Bill. Go for it, Michael. I heard yeah, you I uh, were about say, to say yeah. something. And, and I think, you know, to, to put it in a positive light, this this has often been characterised as a shield rather than a sword, to use some populist language, that, it, that it doesn't provide yeah. an ability to attack others or to no. um, push others down, but it is just providing... Yeah, quite a, a, a reasonable framework, quite a solid framework of protecting uh, people of faith from being marginalised, ostracised, discriminated against because of, of their faith or, as you say, um, or their choice of having no faith at all. And as we said, you know, in its simplest terms, in its simplest terms, a Christian should not be discriminated against because they wear a crucifix around their neck. A Jewish person who's told, you know, they need to work on Shabbat uh, and they can't uh, because of their religious beliefs, uh, that, that's unfair if you can accommodate them. In its simplest terms, that's what the bill does. But it also says in its simplest terms, you know, if you're a person of faith or, or not of faith, you should be able to hold and manifest your beliefs in public without interference or intimidation. Isn't that what we believe in as Australians? 
Absolutely it is. And uh, Senator Michaelia Cash, I just want to thank you so much for joining us here on Faith FM and taking, well, so much of your very busy schedule to spend this time with us explaining to us this uh, this new anti-discrimination bill. This is something that as people of faith across Australia we need to get behind. We need to give it all the support that we can. This is an important moment for Australia. We need to grasp the opportunity and give it as much support as we can. So, Senator Michaelia Cash, thank you so much for joining us. And Lyle and Pastor Michael, I can just say it has been my absolute privilege to join you both this morning. So thank you for giving me the opportunity uh, on behalf in particular, as you know, of our Prime Minister, Scott Morrison, to have this really important discussion with you and your listeners. You're listening to the Federal Attorney General, Senator Michaelia Cash, and Pastor Michael Worker, Director for Public Public Relations and Religious Liberty for the Adventist Church across Australia, here on The Breakfast Show this morning, talking about this incredibly important piece of legislation for people of faith. Thanks for being a part of the Faith FM family. Join our community on Facebook or get in touch at 1-800-FAITH-FM.